0: Well, I want to share with you a message. I'm going to start on Wednesday nights. I take it very seriously, the condition that our nation is in. And things are really getting um, quite out of hand. And we need direction. And the church needs direction. And I feel responsible as a pastor to speak to these issues. How many of you know that the American Revolution was birthed in the church? And from the pastors and preachers in the pulpits that influenced Those uh, signers of the Declaration of Independence, uh, 29 out of the 56 signers were uh, seminary students and uh, believers uh, who understood Scripture. So tonight I want to take you to the uh, rebuilding, and I'm going to lead you into a foundational series. We're going to look at the foundations uh, of this nation uh, from the Judeo-Christian biblical ethic that it was founded in, where it failed, yes, but where it needs to get back on track. And Jesus said to the church at Laodicea, he said this, wake up and strengthen that which remains. And so this is the byword for what the church needs to do in this day and this hour to uh, intercede for us as a nation. We need to, first of all, wake up. It's time to wake up. We've been lulled into listening to the status quo, we have, like the Laodicean church, become the same temperature as our surrounding. And Jesus said, when I tasted your works, I'd rather have you hot or I'd rather have you cold, but you're lukewarm. In other words, it became tepid. It became the same temperature of the environment it was in. And a church should not be the same temperature as the society. We should either be cold or hot, and that is a reference to that which takes work and effort. To get something cold, you need to refrigerate it. It's cool. It's refreshing. To get something hot, you need to heat it up. It feels good. It's soothing. But when it's room temperature, (coughs) we spit it out. And there is a great move right now to tear the nation down And start with new foundations. And I'm telling you, as the church, there are in fact no better foundations than what we have. We've just forgotten them and we've not been abiding by them. And so we need to rediscover them and understand that. In 1831, a Frenchman came over from France to America and he wrote a book as he observed everything in this nation and he said, This nation is exceptional. It's exceptional in its freedom, it's exceptional in its economy, it's exceptional in the way it treats people. And so the term became American exceptionalism, not because we're better than everybody else, but because of the the exception above the norm. What do I mean by this? Well, let me help you understand some things about American culture. 4% of the world lives in the United States. That leaves 96% outside of the United States. So with 4% of the population, the United States is more creative, has had more technical achievements, scientific advances, patents, medical discoveries, and products culturally more music, more dramas, more literature, more books, more movies, more symphonies, and more art, all of this per year than the other 96 percent of the population of the world. That's exceptional. You can't get that kind of creativity, that kind of scientific invention and exploration unless it is funded and it is encouraged for free thinking in a society. That's impressive. Now, Consider the prosperity of the United States. Again, 4% of the population of the world produces 25% of the world's gross domestic products. That's very impressive. The United States is feeding the world. The United States is caring and, in fact, sometimes policing. Now, again, you always have to keep things in balance. Has the United States done things wrong? Absolutely. Is there failure in the United States? Absolutely. Is there sin? Yes, there is. But what we have to understand are the foundations that we need to reestablish and grow on. And it is exceptional. Concerning poverty. The World Bank uh, sets the standard for poverty and knowledge of poverty around the world. Half of the population of the world lives on a ninety per day. That is the sense of poverty in the world's population. Now, in developed uh, countries, a quarter of the world lives on $2 a day. The U.S. poverty level is from $32.26 per day. The poverty rate decreased from 15% in 2010 to 11% in 2018. So even though we have poverty in the United States, look at the ratio compared to what the rest of the world understands poverty to be. I'm not saying we should live with that kind of poverty. We have a solution. We need to discover and go back to the foundations that the fathers had to improve. But so far, we're doing better. I don't want to go back I want to go forward to what we were purposed to become. And that's our goal. And we don't want to tear down what we have, because what we have is exceptional. The United States is recognized as high, having the highest standard of living in the world. And so, we don't want to tear things down, we want to strengthen that which Remains. I'd like you to watch this video and listen so that we can move to prayer for this nation and what God had intended this nation to be.
1: American exceptionalism. What is it? Depending on who you ask, you'll get a variety of definitions. Though, by and large, it is the idea that America is exceptionally good. But is America exceptionally good? Perhaps it once was, but is it still the exception of national goodness? Let's take a look at a few statistics and find out where the world's last best hope really stands. America has the highest STD infection rate in the entire industrialized world. The United States has the highest teen pregnancy rate in the entire industrialized world. It has been estimated that 89% of all pornography is produced in the United States. America has the highest divorce rate in the world. The United States has the highest abortion rate in the Western world, with more than 56 million babies aborted since 1973. The number of American babies killed by abortion each year is roughly equal to the number of U.S. military deaths that have occurred in all of the wars that the United States has ever been involved in combined. And speaking of soldiers, the number of active members of the U.S. military that kill themselves each year now exceeds the number that are dying on the battlefield. America has the highest incarceration rate and the largest total prison population in the entire world by a wide margin. Children in the United States are three times more likely to be prescribed antidepressants than children in Europe are. America has the highest rate of illegal drug use on the entire planet. Of all the major industrialized nations, America's the most obese. Corruption is rampant throughout our society. In fact, America leads the world in money given to fake charities. According to the US Census Bureau, the number of Americans with no religion more than doubled between 1990 and 2008. In 2 Chronicles chapter seven, the Lord gave a warning to King Solomon and the people of Israel. Let's see if we, as Americans, can find our nation in this warning. And the Lord appeared to Solomon by night and said unto him, I have heard thy prayer and have chosen this place for an house of sacrifice. If I shut up heaven, that there be no rain, or if I command the locusts to devour the land, or if I send pestilence among my people, if my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Now mine eyes shall be open, and mine ears attend unto the prayer that is made in this place. America is in a challenging time. Is it too late for us to recover what we've lost? Well, as long as we, the people of God, are here with breath in our lungs and a desire to change and do right, I believe we can see our land healed. All we must do is humble ourselves, pray, seek the face of God, and turn from our wicked way. Now join me as we pray for our nation.
0: So what happens with a nation that is so prosperous, it moves into sin. It's so blessed, it forgets where the blessings come from, and it departs from the Lord, and it moves into self-gratification instead of lifting up the Lord. This is what the problem has been. We've been so blessed that we've forgotten to continue to serve God and we mistreat each other and the values of life. And so what I want to do is strengthen that which remains. We have a constitution in this nation that is 244 years old. The average length of a nation's constitution is 17 years. The changes of wars and so forth uh, switch um, uh, constitutions, And ratifications of certain governments of all the different nations. But no nation on the planet has ever existed under one constitution for 244 years. Again, exceptional. But again, there are many who are trying to get rid of it, throw it out, say it's antiquated and no good. What we have on the books for our laws honor God and are supposed to bless the people of the nation. Yes, there's been failures, but the last thing you want to do is get rid of the thing that is the foundation of good, and that is our Constitution, which is built upon the Declaration of Independence. Tonight, we're going to take a quick look at the Declaration of Independence, which is a profound, genius document that I would encourage all of you to read and at one time in schools, you were to memorize it, and unfortunately, it's been lost. Every civil rights leader, every president studied this document because it is the road to a healthy society. Now, let's look at what Thomas Jefferson said As he penned the Declaration, there was a committee of four that was assigned to put together the Declaration of Independence as its intent uh, to establish these United States, 13 colonies, to break away from Britain. Again, their influence came from the pulpits of pastors and preachers who were teaching biblical concepts of freedom and law. And uh, when it came down to it, there was a debate between John Adams and, and Thomas Jefferson as to who should write it. And finally Adams said, look it, you should write it. Jefferson said, why? And he said, just because you're ten times better than I am. And so Jefferson did. And this is what he said in a letter that he wrote to Nathan Hale as to why he wrote it. The object of the Declaration of Independence was to place before mankind the common sense of the subject. In terms so plain and firm as to command their assent and to justify ourselves in the independent stand we were compelled to take. In other words, the Declaration of Independence is not just some rogue event, some radical takeover or split from Britain, but in fact a document to declare to all the then known nations... This is what we are about to do. This is why we're going to do it legally and rightfully so that you will receive us as a new independent nation from Britain and we will so convince you that this is right by uh, nature's law and, God and nature's God that it is the right thing to do that you will be convinced to support us. Much different than the French Revolution. Much different than some kind of tyrannical uh, split or riot it had intent, it had purpose and it had legal and just cause. Many say people uh, many people say this nation was just birthed out of rebellion anyways it was not it was birthed out of law and justice based in scripture and that's what Jefferson was doing with this document putting it before a world's stage and let's take a look at this profound document that begins, we the people. That is so radical to world governments and to the necessary need for freedom that the people are the ones who are going to decide how to run their nation. It is broken up into three sections. The declaration, in other words, why we are doing what we're doing. Secondly, the demonstration After they explained the six principles as to why we are separating from Britain as a nation and starting our own government, after those six principles, the demonstration is they list 27 of King George's abuses against those United States. And at the end are the dedications. We are dedicated to conclude and and make resolution as to why we will do what we're going to do. So it's based on six principles. I will not bore you. I'll move quickly through them. But as people who are supposed to be praying, I called you to prayer Sunday. The Holy Spirit's calling you to prayer. I got a bunch of phone calls and a bunch of texts and emails. Pastor, the prophets are saying the same thing you said. The pastors are preaching the same things you said. Do you think somebody's trying to get a message to the church? God is calling his people to prayer. And what we need to pray is to bring back the foundations we were built on. Wake up and strengthen that which remains. Because if we will do not do this, they will no longer remain. We have an opportunity here. So here are the six declarations. You must remember, this is called the unanimous declaration. Declaration of Independence of these 13 states. Unanimous. Everyone agreed to these six foundational points of the Declaration of Independence. It's unanimous. Number one, there is a creator God. Can you see where we went wrong after years? There is a creator God. Number two, there are moral laws by which all people operate. Number three, they, all people have inalienable rights. We'll look at what that means. Government exists to protect these inalienable rights. The majority shall have a vote of the people, we the people, and have a right to create new government and speak to the laws that are on the books. Let's break them down one by one very quickly for you. There is a creator God. and Let me read to you what it says. When in the course of human events it becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bands which have connected them with another and to assume among the powers of the earth the separate and equal station to which the laws of nature and nature's God entitle them, A decent respect to the opinions of mankind requires that they should declare the causes which impel them to the separation. Brilliant. In other words, to the world stage, in order to gain your respect and for you to understand, there comes a time when we have to break away from government and rulers that are no longer practicing what is evident in nature and from nature's God. And we're laying this before you. So he goes on to say this, that we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. So the first point is this. There is a God who governs the world and the universe. He is a God of order. He is a God of law. He is a God of justice. Therefore, if we will obey nature's laws and the God of nature, we will do well. When governments break nature's laws and nature's God's rule, we will fail as a people. So, nature's law, the uh, founders believed in what is called natural law, and uh there are many uh, in debates in the Supreme Court. They'll be asked, Do you believe in natural law? I remember Clarence Thomas is uh, a Christian and a believer and believes in natural law. And it almost caused him not to become uh, Chief Justice, uh, uh, among some other scandals that uh, were perpetrated against him. But what are nature's laws? Well, they're uh, self evident that life matters, it's valuable you want to violate nature's law, kill human fetuses in the womb. That is against nature's law. No other animals do this. No other species do this. They don't kill their babies. Natural law. There's natural law to the sexes. There's male and female created for sexual intimacy. And so that's why the early Uh, founding fathers had sodomy laws it's against the natural order of things and nature's law again if you can get rid of the creator what can you change nature and we are in the midst of changing what is natural law and that's what's happening isn't it and god is the lord over all things and he has endowed us with moral law and that's the second point moral laws the laws of nature and nature's god now people find this completely outdated because of course science has proven that there is no god really science hasn't proven much what science does is observe what is That's what science does, and what science has observed and proven is that the further you go out into the universe or deeper into the microscopes, you will find order, and you will find symmetry, and you will find purpose, and this is the law and the orders of nature and nature's God. But there are moral laws that are self-evident, endowed by our Creator with certain unalienable rights what does moral law say that every human being has the right to life liberty and the pursuit of happiness that is a profound statement for any government to allow for all of its citizens let me preface quickly we failed this for all our citizens didn't we we will admit this obviously we failed it But here's the thing, it's written on the books, let's fix that, let's correct that, where we failed to say that all have inalienable rights for the pursuit of life, for the pursuit of liberty and of happiness. Yes, but it's written on the books, it is godly, though because of the sinfulness of man and the corruptness, not everyone received life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. So what do you do? Tear it all down? No, it doesn't get any better than this statement. Let's build it back up. Let's recover what was intended but failed. Shouldn't we be able to agree on that? Amen. And so these are unalienable rights. No one can take them away. They're what we all should be pursuing. That every person who is a citizen of the United States has the right to life. Did you get that? A right to life, a right to liberty, and a pursuit of happiness. Right within that first statement, the idea of abortion violates this declaration of an unalienable right of every human being. Secondly, liberty, slavery was a blot upon this nation. The prophetic pastors and many who spoke to the Continental Congress in ratifying the Constitution said, if you don't deal with slavery, we will be dealing with slavery for the rest of this nation's period. And many failed to do it in their different states, and it has been nothing but trouble for us. Why? Because we've contradicted the foundation that we were built on. Does this make sense to you? So tear it all down? No! Build it right! Right! We've got the plan here and the pursuit of happiness. Not many nations have that over the title of their citizenship. Most people don't have the right to be happy. They have to serve their government. But in this nation, we've given it an unalienable right for everyone to pursue happiness as long as it is within the bounds of the law. And so... This is tremendous. Moral laws. Thirdly, inalienable rights. We hold these truths to be self-evident. All men are created equal. Now that word men is in the sense of all human beings. Men and women, okay? And so we are all created equal. That means we have the equal pursuit of life, liberty, and happiness. Again, uh, this is what it says in our founding documents. But we didn't see it carried out properly, did we? And so that has to be fixed. That has to be corrected. Absolutely. And we've had brave men and women who have shown this. Not only just different races, but even gender. Women were treated certain ways and so forth, right? Throughout the years. But what we have to do is move to what this should look like. That's our goal. So we have to protect these inalienable rights, We go on. Government should protect these rights. That's why a government exists. In fact, the concept is this, that the more people are responsible to God, the less government you need. Does this make sense to you? Because God governs individuals' lives. Whether you're Catholic or Protestant or Jewish, even Muslim, whatever your religion is, to believe that there is a God, you will behave properly and treat others, if your religion backs that up. But what happens to ungodly people who don't follow God's law and order, their pursuit of happiness has no bounds, therefore the government has to build them in. So typically, that's why communism has such a strong arm of government that polices the media, polices freedom of speech, polices its, its uh, right to bear arms, and polices its citizens because the government is in control because there is no self-control based on faith to God. Does that make sense to you? And so that's why the church needs to wake up in this hour and promote faith in God and personal responsibility. The church can't act like the world. The church shouldn't look as sinful as the world because that's only begging for more government control. So we're saying that the reason our government exists is so that it will keep these truths evident that there is a creator God, there are moral laws, and we all have inalienable rights. When the government begins to trample on those rights, something's out of whack. And that's why they broke away from King George. Fifth, democratic vote. It says in the Declaration, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. What a radical concept of a democratic republic. The reason we call it a republic is because we have representatives who represent our vote. We have to be careful with democracy. Pure democracy is mob mentality. If it's just whoever has the most votes wins, there are a number of states who have more people in their population than other states, and three states within the United States could run the entire government. But that's why they developed the electoral college, and the ability to split the votes to democratically uh, represent all the people of all the states. You're getting a civics lesson, but it's about time because they don't do it in school anymore. <laughs> Amen? So again, it's our responsibility. Do you know that right now the, there are more people who believe in the right to life than abortion? So why hasn't it been overturned? Because the people who believe in the right to life don't vote. What an atrocity. We're supposed to be governing and instead mobs looting and crashing and burning are getting a bigger vote. And so we've got to get out there and do what our Constitution says. Last of all, democratic vote is this, whenever any form of government becomes destructive of these ends, the six principles, it is the right of the people to alter or to abolish it and to institute new government as to them shall seem most likely to affect their safety and their happiness. In other words, we have the right to make amendments to the Constitution, we have a right through votes to change laws. Uh, That's genius, that's wonderful. And so we do that, but what happens is if we do not represent our position well, it will be taken away by those opposed to it. And Christianity, may I dare say, has not well represented the kingdom of God in these last 50 to 60 years. We've lost the foundational teaching. As things have prospered and prospered, the church has got caught up even sanctifying the the ideology of prosperity to the place where now we're all just so blessed and all so blessed and all so blessed like Laodicea. When Jesus tasted the works of the church at that day, he said, you're wretched, naked, and blind, and poor spiritually, but they were the richest church in their community. So, we've got to do something. We do because it's built into our Constitution. We can amend the laws. We can right what has been wrong. We can fix the racism. We can fix the the, uh, uh, cheating and the lying. We can fix the, the false media and so forth. But we have to vote. We have to have a voice. Amen? We need to do this. I believe more than anything that there are two basic national sins that the church must call the country into repentance. If my people, who are called by my name, what? Will humble themselves and repent. Right? There are two national sins. Number one, godlessness. And number two, consumption and prosperity. Gluttony. These are our national sins. They're in the church. Much of the church is not preaching the gospel. Much of the church is marketing a hip Jesus to try to get people to like him and try to get people to get into some Christianese, which really isn't the gospel at all. The gospel begins at the cross, which calls all men to repentance because all people are sinners. Pastor, I can't get people to come to church for that. You will get the people who want to be saved. You can fill a crowd, you can get a crowd in a room. People do it all the time. But that's not the gospel. The gospel is preaching the word of God. Churches have to get back to preaching the Word of God. Secondly, the church has got to get its eyes off of consumerism and consumption and prosperity and get back to the cross in laying down your life for the sake of the gospel instead of getting... Amen. Instead of having more toys to play with on more time off and more exciting vacations, how about we use our finance and use our efforts to win the lost who are going to hell for eternity? How about that? How about we preach the gospel? Right now, we are bankrolling the gospel on disposable funds. That's not right. And so we need to preach and strengthen what remains. I would encourage you to get back to the Declaration of Independence. Look at these six things. They are brilliant, how they hold each other up. And we, the church, are the stewards of these foundational truths. They need to be correct, and they need to be brought up properly and spoken well. And we, the church, carry that mantle. Let us bow our heads. Father God, I thank you for giving us the opportunity to learn and to grow and to hold and be stewards of these truths that are found in the gospel. May we not be negligent, O God. And may we elect those officials that promote these concepts that are held as ideals in our Constitution and in the Declaration of Independence which are birthed from the Word of God. Help us, O oh God, to be bold this hour and this day. For we stand for principles of the kingdom of God. May we not shy back. May we not hold back. May we speak the truth in love and have a ready to answer. Because this nation needs it. We don't hold you under a bushel. We will let you shine. I would ask you to stand tonight before the Lord. And I would tell you this, whether we lived in China, whether we lived in Russia, whether we lived in Cuba, you belong to the kingdom of God, not the governments of this world. You're a Christian first, above all things. This government may fall, this nation may collapse, but the kingdom never will. And we are to always honor the truths of his kingdom. It just so happens that this nation was built on those truths. So, how much easier is our job? Amen? Father, we stand before you today as a people, readied to do your will and to pray. You've called us to do one thing in this month, right now, that is to pray for this nation, to pray for our leaders to pray for the revelation of God to come back into people's lives, to stand in righteousness, to lift up the church and pray for revival, to revive the gospel once again in this land so that people may hear it. God, we fall to our knees, repent of our sin of consumerism and godlessness. We want to be sanctified and walk in righteousness, and we want to give our lives for the gospel. And if you would agree with that, would you say amen tonight?